a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 106 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. The Say the Damn Score podcast is presented by Schold Media Group, the best place online to connect and learn from other young media professionals. Grow your career through their engaging content, demo reel critique services, job placement programs, and much more. Find them at scholdmediagroup.com. That's S-H-O-L-D, mediagroup.com. Not a whole lot going on in my world uh, over the last couple weeks. Just a steady schedule of boys and girls high school basketball, boys and girls hockey, and our weekly coaches show. If you're listening to this on time, I just did my last game of the decade. Yesterday, actually. I'm recording this introduction on Wednesday, December 18th. I had my game on Tuesday the 17th and will not have another one until January 2nd unless something unanticipated comes up between now and then. So uh, that's all. I don't have a whole lot to go. I want to get right to the guests. But first, I just want to take a moment to say that if you are listening to this on time, it's the last week before Christmas, and I just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a general joyous holiday season for whatever holiday you celebrate. Uh, if you're listening in the future, well, happy whatever day it is right now. But anyway, today's episode features a guest from Trenton, New Jersey, standing at 5'7 oh, and 3 quarters. Yeah. Noah Eagle, the so voice exactly of the Los Angeles Clippers. And Noah, obviously, uh, I got to reach down to Drew Carter, who's been on this podcast before. You went to college with him, and he told me to introduce you that way. Um, what's the story behind it? Well, I mean, after that introduction, I don't know if I'm friends with him. That's, uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, no, that's... I am not from Trenton, New Jersey. That's, he, he thinks all of New Jersey is just one place. And I'm from northern New Jersey. That is not northern New Jersey. <laughs> and uh, I'm five foot eight. I, I am a very, if you look at my Twitter bio, I'm a proponent of rounding up to the nearest inch. And for me, the nearest inch, that's five eight. I, I, take, that, I, I take that with pride. So that's the story. So when you play in the Media Cup game, could you jump up and touch the net? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, w I mean, it took many squats to do that for me. I had to really build the leg strength just to get to the net. Lots of plyometrics, of course. And he gave me one other thing that we're just going to get it out of the way right away. Please do. Before we get into the, the real stuff. He said, I think this is a great play to actually introduce. And he said, now that you're the voice of an NBA team and you've made it big time, 
Can you afford real AirPods instead of the $8 ones from the FedEx store in Chapel Hill? Yes. Yes, I can. I, I have real but, AirPods. They actually were given to me as a graduation gift, so I didn't have to buy them for myself. But I, I do use real AirPods now. Do they work all the time? Not necessarily, but I make them work. Put it per- that way. Perfect. Do you still have the $8 ones? I do not. I threw those out. I threw those out. I could not be seen walking around in $8 AirPods. They didn't work, by the way. They didn't work. It's crazy how that happens, right? I feel like when you buy $8 AirPods, you're like, these are going to work forever, and they don't. Yeah. It's the old uh, cheap sunglasses where I could, only I, sunglasses. See, they but they not, never I go away. I don't understand because I have, the, I have normal cheap glasses. Cheap clip-on sunglasses. As, are you a clip-on guy? You're a glasses no, I, guy. I, I go back and forth. Do you want to swap and see if prescriptions <laughs> match up? or <laughs> That would be interesting. I doubt it. I have really bad vision. Ah, you and me both. So that's about 220. Hopefully nobody's uh, tuned out quite yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, obviously we're here to talk about broadcasting, and Noah Eagle has recently become, this is his first year as the voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. And I, there's a lot out there about how you got the job, how you kind of came up. Everybody, I think, who listens to this show probably knows that you're a legacy. Your father is Ian Eagle, who's really? been on this did you know that? I'm not sure. I've, I've heard I'm adopted, so I don't know. Was it Jan? <laughs> nice. Well done. That's what I'm here for. But let's just start from when you were young, because I actually texted your dad because he's been on the podcast, and he said at five to seven years old, somewhere in that age range, you started showing interest in sportscasting. Do you remember that, and what triggered it? For sure. I think what triggered it is just being around it all the time. When you see somebody going through the preparation and, and you see them and the, the joy that the games can bring to them in particular, that's what prompted it for me. And the interest was just following along, just just being around, just seeing what it took and sifting through media guys at a very young age and acclimating myself with the players and the leagues and it's hard not to fall in love with it. I think, as you know, just being around it a little bit, it is hypnotizing. It's enticing. You get mesmerized. So that's that's really what it was for me. And people would always used to say, like, is it weird seeing your dad on TV? It's like, no, that's just how it is. It's him doing, going to his job. It, it would be the same if I asked, like, is it weird seeing your dentist father do his thing? I've got a weird thing with dentists. Is it weird seeing your dentist father do dentist things? No, like, you're, you're used to it. So that's that's kind of how I put it in perspective and it's just always been there for me. It's always been in my DNA. So what was the cool dad that you looked at and that you aspired as and you thought was cool if that was just normal? Yeah, there was a dad in my neighborhood, Mr. Smith. He was really cool. No, no, no. (laughs) I would say uh, (laughs) the fact when I was very young, when I was seven ish or six years old, I would say right around that range, the Nets went back to back to back NBA finals and my dad was there. He was working. He was around the team. He knew everybody. That was, I, I sat there. I just took it all in. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is how fortunate we all are to be around here. But him to do something that gives him that joy and to be around such a cool moment for the state of New Jersey at the time, that was, I think, a moment that I sat there I, at a very young age said, like, this is, I don't know how you can get much better than this. And from that point on, I would say my love for the game of basketball grew, my love for sports in general grew, and then broadcasting and other factors in my life, pop culture and other things as well. But that was really, I would say, that first moment that six or seven years old, I sat and I said, wow, this is, this is awesome. How do you get much better? And he said at 13 it really started focused to where that was the point where you started asking questions and taking mental notes. 
again, is that something that just kind of happens organically through osmosis or something that you're going out of your way to do? I would say a combination. The, the, the natural osmosis, if you will, is the fact that I got his height and was not going to be ending up very tall as Drew so obviously wanted to put five foot seven and three quarters. I like to say five foot eight. Uh, that was really where I was maxing out. So I realized, oh, wait, I probably won't be playing this for very long. So I'd like to stay involved in some way, shape, or form. I always enjoyed performing, which is kind of ironic because I was somewhat of a shy kid. But I just enjoyed the, the performance aspect of it. And anytime I would make a speech in class or uh, there was like a school play or things like that, those were the moments that I felt like I could shine and really show my personality off. And that is where it all came together for me. Well, I'm watching it all the time, seeing somebody do it. There's a performance-based aspect to it. There's studying and acclimating yourself with things that you love. That is sports. Basketball, for me in particular, that's always been my favorite sport. And so, yeah, that's really when I put it all together. Like, all right, this makes total sense. Let me at least see if I would enjoy it as well. Try it out down the line. And, yeah, that's where it really – I began to hone in on this This makes sense. This is, this is what I would like to do. And – of course, if you decide that this is what you want to do, it makes a lot of sense to go to Syracuse, where you went, where both of your parents went, where your sister goes. But I heard on another podcast you almost didn't go. Yeah. Have you? Did you question your sanity during the winter <laughs> deciding to go there instead of the University of Miami? So it's funny. It's funny. I've gotten that question before, naturally. And now we're in Minnesota where yeah. it's snowing and I walk out, it's like eight degrees. And I'm like, wow. How did I do this for four years? Especially now that I've become like an L.A. person. I, I live there. It's warm there. Now I come to the cold. I'm like, what, what was I thinking? What's wrong with me? Do I need to get checked out? Because every day there is cold. But it's so worth it at the same time. I, I don't think I ever, while I was there, questioned if I made the right choice. I absolutely made the right choice because of all the opportunities, because of the relationships you build, because of... Everything that's associated with Syracuse, it just made perfect sense for me. And really, I would say the decision at the time as a senior in high school was, do I want to go and try to make my own name and make my own legacy in a place that has basically no trace of eagle in it? Or do I want to take it head on and, and try to accept that challenge and make my own name through that, if that makes sense? And I chose the latter. And I again, I, I would say... The perfect choice. I do not regret a single thing. Um, but Miami does sound nice, especially when I went there and saw all the kids like lying out by the pool studying. I, you can't see me, but I'm putting air quotes around studying <laughs> because they had books, but they didn't really seem interested in the books. So, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a decision you have to weigh. You touched on this a little bit in that last answer. I'd like you to expand on it a little bit. You mentioned making the decision whether to go somewhere where you're going to be under your dad's shadow or whether you could go and make your own way, have be a little bit more anonymous. What went into that and what are, I think it's pretty obvious what the positives are, are for that situation. What are some of the maybe challenges that somebody wouldn't think of on a day-to-day basis? Well, let's put it this way. Let me start with a decision. I, it's funny as I, I, we've got 
people coming left and right. We're in a Starbucks, by the way, right yeah. now. Good. I Save like the Starbucks. Score Mobile Studio. <laughs> yeah, we we're on the run. We we do this well. By the way, Logan, I I love the podcast. I I forgot to mention that before we start. I think you do a great job with it. I love your website. I actually do use the glossaries from time to time <laughs> when I need a little little jump in something, little a little uh, change in in how I'm using the verbiage and whatnot. But anyway, let me let me get back to the point. I just digress. I, I tend to do that from time to time, so bear with me. The, the decision, it's funny. I saw, I think this was a tweet from years ago, and it was, it was when LeBron James' son is growing up, and his name is literally LeBron James Jr., Bronny <laughs> James. So it's not like he can really hide, but it, the thing was he, did, he announced almost on Twitter or something that he wasn't going to be wearing number 23 or number 6. He was going to be wearing number 0 to almost build his own thing. And someone responded like, with a quote saying, checking into the game right now, LeBron James Jr., second quote. Oh, man, who's that? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so even if I went somewhere else, I knew that my name was attached and my look was attached. We have a very similar look. We've got a similar makeup. We've got a similar You're taller, inflection. though, right? I am taller, a good two or so inches. But I listen, I don't, I don't harp on that because <laughs> um, I'd say he carries himself like he's six foot four. He is one of the best people in the world. And I couldn't have asked for a better mentor to have because he's, he's the best. He really is. And he, uh, he's been with me every step of the way. and He's been the most helpful if possible, but some of the challenges that like you asked, I, I think a lot of them are, are kind of the obvious ones, just the stigma that gets placed on you being certainly by the way, in a place that even if you're a legacy, just in general out of school, people, I feel like look at you as, Oh, well you're here cause you're a legacy of X, Y, or Z. That's not necessarily the case. A lot of people who are legacies work just as hard, if not harder, and they still just get that place. I, I, I was not in Greek life, but I know that's a case in Greek life because when you're a legacy in a house, you tend to get the priority treatment during the rush process. Again, I, I don't really know. I wasn't involved with it, but that's just from what I've heard. So that's the main thing that I feel like you, you go on against. And then the other thing is being yourself. It's hard because I, I share DNA with a person. So there are obviously going to be similarities, but I don't want to just be the same version but younger of him. I want to be a fraction of him while also being my own person, my own broadcaster. I think that was the hardest part because, again, I grew up every day hearing, that's a man's jam or a rack attack, like all those, <laughs> all those calls we've known to love. And I'm like, all right, I can use it maybe here and there, but I can't use that all the time because then I'm just doing what he does. I need to be my own person. So it's about finding that. And that's, I'm, listen, I'm still in the process of doing that. It's, it's a process for probably my whole career. I was going to ask you that as we went forward. How many times have you used rack attack <laughs> as an L.A. Clipper broadcaster? I have not once. I have, not I have not used it once. I, I'm trying to refrain. Now, it's a great call. And the, the story behind the call is even greater. It actually came from Lawrence Frank. So my dad has told this story before, I believe, on other podcasts. And he may have told it on your podcast. I can't remember correctly. But he would meet with Lawrence Frank before every single game when Lawrence was the coach of the Nets. And they would talk. And Lawrence would be like, yeah, we just need to get Chris more rack attacks. We need to get... A couple more racket, like, and he kept saying it. My dad kept saying, "Whoa, whoa, rack attack! That's a great call." And so he started using it, and it took off from there. And now Lawrence is the president of the Clippers. And so I went up to Lawrence. I was like, "You realize that rack attack 
is yours. You created that. He goes, well, we know I was a better broadcaster than a coach. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I guess then that answers that. So it's funny how these things, you never know how something's going to develop, as you know from doing games for however many years now, many years. You know that things just kind of come up naturally, and that was how that one came to fruition, and now he is taken off with it. So I try not to use it. I try to refrain. Have you guys played the Nets yet? No. Both will be in March. Have you decided, are you going to do anything unique or different when that situation arrives? (laughs) So it sounds like he won't be doing either one of those games, unfortunately. He's going to be doing likely NCAA tournament responsibilities, which is important. However, he may be on a national game sometime along the way, so that will that will give us a chance. And I don't know if I'm going to be doing anything different. I'm going to prepare for the game. I'm going to go call the game like it's a normal game, and uh, that's that's it. I don't I, I don't expect him to come and do color commentary for me at some point. I think he's probably got his own thing he's got to take care of. Okay, so we're gonna I'm gonna ask one more question about this, and we're gonna move on because this is the episode 106 with Noah Eagle not here to talk about Ian, but. Uh, I thought this was like episode five. I, I was I felt really special. <laughs> you used that joke in another I podcast. Did. I did. So. Well, I, you know what? I keep getting asked for like latter, <laughs> later in the in the series podcast. I, I got to change it up and get open on uh, one of the early ones. <laughs> you could find a way, but uh, have you been reached out to by any of the other kind of legacy broadcasters out there by Joe Bach or Tom Brenneman or Kenny Albert to kind of pick their brain about how they handled it. I've talked to Kenny a little bit just in person over the years. I've actually never met the other guys. Uh, I've always wanted to meet Joe. I, I read Joe's book and hopefully being in LA and he's around a decent amount and Fox is in LA. Uh, I, I should be able to get that opportunity soon, but I, I haven't had a chance to yet. I, I Like I said, I read the book and I took from it what I could just because I felt like it was a very similar upbringing just with what his his dad was doing and, and what my dad was doing and all that type of stuff, and then him going right into it and uh, getting pretty big breaks early on, honestly, when he was young, when he was 22, 21 even. And so I, I took those and said, all right, well, how can I apply this and, and what he said he wishes he did differently into how I attack everything as well. So I haven't had a chance to really pick his brain fully, but – I'm sure that'll happen down the line. Uh, listen, I, I, at the end of the day, I think every situation's a little different, even though they're similar. They're, they're obviously different, just based on what you're doing, where you are in your career, and the type of person you are at the end of the day. I, I think that's just kind of what it is. Like, I'm going to go in and be me no matter what. So that's kind of how I've taken this opportunity. I said, all right, I'm going to go work really hard. I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to treat people well and show off my personality and and that'll be that and if uh, it works out then it works out if not then we'll move to the next thing so when you got this position Mm -hmm. in the interview process you had to fly back and forth from Syracuse to Los Angeles a couple different times and I read you didn't even miss any class you were able to get back each time are you not able to tell your professors and say hey this is uh probably worth missing class for (laughs) uh I'd say let, 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 me, let me put it this way. The classes I was taking as a second semester senior were not the most strenuous of classes. They were not meeting every day of the week. So I would say my schedule was pretty lax, <laughs> to, uh, to put it lightly. And so that wasn't necessarily me like worrying about missing something big. It was just me 
being able to based on the holes in my schedule as a senior, which was because I front loaded. I had a lot of AP credit coming in and all the all those things that you can do nowadays. But that was that was more the reasoning more so than anything else. I I think I may have warned one professor like, hey, I may be missing and it just didn't happen based on the dates and everything. It didn't end up happening. So it was good. It ended up being a good thing. I'm a, I'm a studious guy. I'm not, but <laughs> I like to tell people I am. Well, it's one of those things that it's studious when you care about it. Yeah, exactly. If it's elementary statistics or something like that. Well, I was good at that. So I got an A in that. Yeah. Really? That is the only, <laughs> that is the only C I ever got in college. <laughs> I don't blame I, I you. I can't do any math. Yeah, I don't blame well, Most broadcasters can't. You know, I sometimes on the air during the Clippers games, I try to do the quick math, and it takes me longer than I would actually hope it would take. And I just say something and I'm like, wait a second, that was wrong. And I am willing to acknowledge I'm not good at math. Don't worry. That's just me being ridiculous. Put it that way. So what was the moment where you felt like you could finally let everything sink in? You're the voice of the Clippers uh, You're calling NBA games. When did that start to feel real? I, I would say our first preseason game. I, by the time you're actually sitting down and, and calling the action, I had known about it for a long time. I'd known about it for months. I had known that I was going to be the new voice of a team. But until you're actually doing it, it's saying, oh, okay, yeah, that's going to happen one day. That's going to be happening soon. Once I did it, I was like, holy, you know what? This is incredible. And I'm thankful every morning when I wake up, thankful every night when I go to bed. Uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity and the fact that this organization, which is a forward-thinking, first-class organization, was willing to take a chance on a young kid out of college and doing the best I can with it and just trying to make them look good at the end of the day. And if you follow sportscasting, you know, people talk about, you know, Vin Scully as the Holy Grail, and, and it, it very deservedly so. For sure. And he got a really young start, and I've just heard people say there will never be another Vin Scully, someone who gets that job early and can stay there for a long time and it probably won't ever have the same effect just because radio is different but do you see this as an opportunity to be just entrenched in that community as the voice of a team forever or do you have larger ambitions obviously you're happy where you are but do you plan on mixing national stuff you know i i don't know i don't know I, i tell every i've gotten this question a decent amount and vin through our Basically, the guy in charge at the radio station I work at, Don Martin, has been there in radio for a long time. He's great. He's a great person. He is a genius in the radio world, and him and Vin are close because Vin was on the same station that I'm on currently, AM570. That's the Dodger station. And so he said that he was getting lunch with Vin, and he talked to him. He said, we've got this this kid who's starting at 22, similar to you with the Dodgers, and um, what are your thoughts? And he's like, I think it's great. And I think he's going to do a great job. And I haven't gotten a chance to meet him either. And that's somebody that's a bucket list type of person, I'd say, for anybody in broadcasting. To answer your question, I would, the first part, there will never be another Vince Scully. I don't care who it is. I don't care what they're doing. His ability to connect with the fans, connect with the listeners, I don't know if that will ever be matched in any way, shape, or form. It is elite. He is a different stratosphere of broadcaster he is just he had a velvety voice obviously his description was unparalleled and then 
again, I think the best thing that he did was his connection to the fans. He made you feel like you were right there next to him. That's so hard to do. It really is, especially on radio. At least on TV, you can see it. You can give it with your facial expressions when you come on camera. When you're doing it on radio and you can make people feel at ease like that, that's when you know you've found somebody special. So I don't think there's ever going to be another Vince Scully. And I'm never going to say I'm going to be the next Vince Scully. There's no chance. That would be ridiculous for anybody to say. So I, I think... For me, I'm taking it day by day. I'm not saying I'm going to be here for 60 years. I'm not saying I'm not going to be here for 60 years. Who knows? I just want to be happy at the end of the day, and right now that's exactly what I am. Yeah, that was probably a poorly phrased question to try to say, are you going to be the next Vince Scully? Well, if you so, want to tell me that, yeah. that's very nice of yeah. you. It's, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, talk about your interview with Steve Ballmer, because I've read a lot about that where – you sat down and talked with him for about 90 minutes. I don't know if that's normal for the owner of the team to talk to the future broadcaster or not, uh, especially you know, as radio does change. But obviously it was important to him. What did you guys talk about in that conversation? Talked about a lot. And I think that it's normal for Steve Ballmer. He wants to be hands-on. He's that type of owner. And there's a reason that he's gotten so much praise as an owner is because by my estimation and I understand I haven't been around a lot of teams, but I think he is the best owner in sports right now because he cares so much about winning. He cares so much about the product that they're putting out in every facet, whether that be on the business side, the broadcasting side, you name it. And because he is a fan at heart and he's willing to show that, all of those factors come in. And by the way, it doesn't hurt that he has $50 billion to his name, so you don't have to spare a penny when you're dealing with a new arena that they're building or any of these little costs along the way. What we talked about for the 90 minutes or so was about me, about him. I wanted to know about him. I wanted to know why he owns a team and things like that. So we talked about that. And then he wanted to know a lot of my thoughts about broadcasting in general because this is the first time for him that he was going through this process. Ralph Lawler had been here for 40 years. He had preceded Steve Ballmer purchasing the team. And Brian Seaman, who's now the television announcer, had been here for over a decade himself, actually was the Timberwolves announcer before that. So he didn't have to do this before. I think he was curious genuinely about what goes into a good broadcast, what makes a good pairing on TV, what makes a good radio person, all those little things, and genuinely wanted to know what I had to say about it and took everything I said with a full heart. Like, he he took it all to heart, and that's what I appreciate about him. He doesn't have to do that, but he does, and he does that with everybody. He knows everybody's name. He lets everybody do their job. He stays in his lane, but if he needs to get in there and make a decision, he's going to, and, and that's what makes him so special as an owner. I heard on one of the other podcasts I listened to you on preparing for this that you you would find things that you'd have little disagreements on, and you would actually kind of have some little debates and, and explanations. I feel like it'd be really easy in that situation to just kind of yeah, I agree with what you say, Steve Ballmer. Uh, going into that situation, was it tempting to do that, or was it? Did it just feel right to you to just stand your I don't, stand your ground's not the right word, but you know what I mean. No, I, I know exactly what you mean, and I think honestly, Logan, I think that it's worse if you just agreed with him and you went along with whatever he was saying, and then you got the job and you did the opposite of what you then said in the interview because. Guess what? The other thing that's great about Steve Ballmer is he watches and listens because he cares. He wants everything to be as great as it possibly can be. And so if he feels that I'm doing something that he thinks I could be doing better, well, let me know. And that's what I respect about him as well. 
But at the end of the day, I felt like it would have been far worse for me to just concur with whatever he felt was the right way and then get here, potentially, and do the opposite. Then I'm going against my word, and I'm not a person who likes to do that very often, just personally. In your simulated broadcast that you did as a demo in Los Angeles, you worked with, I believe, Corey Maggetti. Correct. And I've talked to a couple different broadcasters who have been part of those simulated broadcasts, and they're not always easy to do because you're looking at a monitor, there's no crowd noise, and there's a lot of pressure on it because there's a lot at stake, potentially getting a job or not getting it. What was your experience doing the simulated broadcast, and what do you think about it helped you go over the top? Uh, You know, it's interesting. I think it it is a little strange. It's a little disjointed, honestly, because we what we did, Corey and I did a – off camera completely we did a a broadcast open so they rolled in with scenic shots of boston i introduced the matchup between the celtics and the clippers it was the first time that the new acquisitions post trade deadline were coming tobias harris was gone landry shamit was in garrett temple was in there and jermichael green was in there so new faces that was what we were focusing on we talked a little bit Corey's a great guy and he's really easy to work with which was helpful so that made it easy and then it's we didn't go into the first quarter. We did the third quarter. So it was a dis- disjointed order. And I didn't have a feel really of the first half of the game either because I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I wasn't around. I didn't really feel the energy. Corey, it, it helped that Corey actually had done that game in person. So he knew. He actually knew technically what was coming, I guess. But he also knew what it felt like when he was there. So that helped me a little bit because I could bounce off of him. And we called the entire third quarter. And that was that. And that was, there's your shot. You have your one chance. Got to just go and perform. And and that's that. I think that's what is difficult about it is because it's not a normal routine. It's not what you normally feel that you could get a little bit thrown. But for me, it was, all right, just stay present in the moment. Go do your best. And if your best is not that, I'm young. I'm going to have chances down the line. And I'm not going to sweat it, really. And, And that was what I kept in my mind. Did they tell you what game you're doing in advance? Did you have time to prepare yes. and like watch the first half to yes. see what happened so you had that background knowledge? Yes, I, I got it about two days before. So I had about two days to get ready for the game. I, I made charts for both teams, the Clippers at the time. of I had to look at their roster. So I knew the outcome of the game, but I didn't watch it ahead of time because I always feel like it's going to come off as phony if you're seeing it for a second time. You want the genuine reaction. You want it to be a genuine call. So I I chose not to watch it, and instead I just prepared for the game like I would prepare for any game. I I basically spent the two days leading up all day on both days just getting as much down as possible, printed the charts in the morning, walked over, did my interview, did the audition, and flew back to Syracuse after that to some nice cold weather, similar to today in uh, Minnesota. You mentioned making charts, and I said I wasn't going to ask any more questions about your dad, but I'm going to I'm going to break that, and you probably know what's coming already. Because when he came here and I got to meet him and look at his charts, he handwrites them on manila folders. Do you do that, or have you moved on oh, to the technology age? I'm not a dinosaur. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I try to convince him all the time. I say, you, you realize you're going to cut hours potentially out of your life if you just move to the computer because you don't have to start from scratch for every single game. You can just update. Now, 
I still spend a lot of time, trust me, because it's a deep dive, especially when you're following a team for a full season. You're doing a deep dive into that team. You're doing a deep dive into the other team. And I do these broadcasts by myself. I have no analysts. So I need to make sure I'm filling all the roles. So I need to get all the analyst prep, if you will, in as well. The numbers, the different things I can throw in on small stoppages in play. And I think that was the biggest adjustment early in this job. But no, he still does them by hand. I think he's crazy for it. I, my hand would cramp up. I, I, it's funny. I, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but someone said that I think Sam Hinkey said this about his kids. He's like, I don't even know if I'm going to teach them or my grandkids maybe how to, to read and write because I think by the time they get old enough, reading and writing with, with hands is going to be <laughs> obsolete. It's going to be all just technology anyway. So I think we're moving that way. I do a, almost a, a hybrid. Like I, I, almost all my stuff is online, but I write a lot of extra notes once I print it out from there. And you mentioned doing the game solo, and I've found that interesting that people think that would be a challenge just because with my background doing small high school games, there's just never a budget for an analyst. So I'm, I think I find it almost more difficult to pull back and let an analyst talk sometimes and dominate it. Uh, was What kind of an adjustment for you was it? You know, it's, it's funny. I think that on radio in particular, it can be – better sometimes when you're doing it solo because you are allowed to get into a full rhythm that way you can it's all you it's up to you to find the pace of the game to do all the the little things yourself you dictate everything so it can be good I also think it can obviously be not as a great thing because an analyst can help bring perspective that you might not see yourself help make it entertaining it gives you somebody especially in basketball right now in the NBA now with this coach's challenge and reviews that can last (laughs) two three minutes Right now, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just talking it through saying, well, here's what I think it is because they don't tell me what's going on either. And a lot of times I'm removed from the court. I can be up higher. So I'm like, I don't know. Uh, this is what's happening, guys. This is at least from my perspective. When you have somebody else, they're probably watching other, other parts that you aren't because you're calling the action. You're so focused on that. And so I think it's good and bad. Honestly, I think it's been great for me because now I've been forced to master almost all these different roles and it's made me a more confident broadcaster overall, where the fact that parts of the broadcast, obviously I'm doing play by play, but then I'm breaking it down. What happens after the fact, after a whistle, maybe I'll say, okay, well, here's what happened. Here's how it, you know, so I'm doing almost an analyst type role. And then if if it's a blowout and the Clippers have had a couple where they've blown teams out, they beat the Atlanta Hawks by 49 points this year. Then I'm almost turning into a talk show host saying, hey, or an update guy, like, here's what's going on around the league. Here is what Lou Williams has done well this year and why they Clippers are having him at a bargain price and things like that and trying to interact on social media. And that's really where I've tried to make a mark as well is, hey, send your questions to me on Twitter and I will answer them or I'll, I'll try to get to them and your, your thoughts on the air, things like that. So I, I think it's been good. It's trained me even more as a broadcaster than I already had and I felt like I had the best education I could find at Syracuse. Mixing in the the Twitter interaction and the social media interaction, the I think the guy first guy that I know of who did that, it may not be the first guy to do it, was oh, what's the Washington Wizards guy? It was on Dave, my, Johnson. Dave Johnson. I knew it was Johnson. I couldn't come up with his first name. Yeah. He did a lot of that. What is your method into when it is appropriate to include that interaction and when not to? Well, you just have to have a good sense of the game. If it's a close game in the fourth quarter, you're not going to go, well, Joe in Ohio says Lou Williams needs to be playing more minutes in this game. (laughs) You're going to be calling the action. But 
like I said, if you're if the Clippers are beating the Hawks by 40 points in the fourth quarter, then you've got a chance to say, all right, well, uh, Mike in Orange County says X or, you know, go through whoever's is saying things on Twitter and you can use it as a, as a topic board for the rest of the way because the last thing people probably want to hear when the team's up by 40 is what's actually happening mm-hmm. in the game. They want to be entertained almost. <laughs> they want to continue to be enthralled in what you're saying. And so that's, that's a difficult part for sure when you're alone. That's why I like to use the social media stuff if possible. My career has been almost entirely covering either really, really good teams yeah. that consistently blow people out of really, really bad teams. Oh, yeah. So you've got both ends of the spectrum. Yes. And it's uh, I think it's almost easier when your team is getting blown out than it is the other way around. Because it's then hard. You, can, I, you can try to like say, okay, they're learning from this. They can get better. When you're beating a team by 50, it's just like, I don't know what to do. Oh, that's when you, <laughs> that's when you go deep in the notebook. Yeah deep in the notebook and you got to unload some things that nobody's heard of that's when and i'll (laughs) say that's that's the best part about the clippers is they they give you good access to the players so you can try to find things out that people might not know those are the moments that you save it for though you don't even if you hear this great story the last thing you want to do is just burn it right away in the first minute of a game you want to hold it for when you might really need it and that time it could be really useful but trust me that is uh those are not easy when you're getting blowouts constantly those are hard because you've got to find a way to do it, and I feel for you, man. I feel for you. <laughs> it's better now, but uh, part of the advantage, I think, of hiring a young broadcaster is obviously you're a very good play-by-play person now, but you're going to be better in 10 years because sure. you have a great runway to grow. What are you focusing on improving on right now? I'd say everything. I say this to everybody, and you've probably heard me say it before. I'm not a finished product, and... Nobody in broadcasting should ever consider themselves a finished product. If you're not improving, and this is something that I said in my interview, this is something that I said to Don Martin at AM570. He technically works at iHeartRadio in L.A., but he is one of my main contacts there, and he's been great to me, and he's given me great advice about the job, and so has Gillian Zucker and Chris Wallace, and you go through the line of the people at the Clippers, and Brian Seaman has been a great mentor for me as well. And then, of course, I can go to my dad when I need when I have questions or I, I need things answered in any way, shape, or form. So for me, it's just improving overall, being entertaining while being descriptive. I'd say from a play-by-play perspective, it is variance. It is just making it natural and it's gotten I feel like I've gotten better we're now game we're going into game what 27 I think tonight better than game number one and that's really what I care about I'd say at the end of the year I just want to be a smoother overall broadcaster I want to have a better feel for it all I want to just in the moment make sure I'm rising and keep working on my voice the voice quality tweaking it and, and using it in the correct ways that was something that I really stressed before going into this season because you're battling some really loud environments, and we got that in the Carrier Dome, and I remember one game in particular against Georgetown. I just could not battle the crowd my senior year, and I was like, wow, this is this is brutal. I just cannot do it, and I realized it was because I was getting all the effects in my ear, and I'm trying to battle those effects with my voice, and I'm shouting over the top of it. I'm like, this doesn't sound like me, and so I'm adjusting that and, and working with the engineers that we have and things like that. It's all the, the small intricacies and just fine-tuning everything, but as a whole, I just feel like I'm more comfortable, more confident already, and that's a good thing. I hope that continues from Game 27 to Game 82. What's the feedback system that you get? Do you just have your people that you send it to? Do the Clippers have their own internal feedback system 
what do you use to find out the things that you need to get critiqued on a work done? So, I, you know, I'll call Don from time to time and make sure that uh, anything he hears I can I- implement into the coming games. And he, uh, he has given me some great tips early on that I've utilized throughout the season. The Clippers as a team, from a broadcasting perspective, like I said, if Steve listens and he hears something, he'll let me know. Uh, Gillian Zucker, same thing. That's our business president. Uh, Chris Wallace, same thing. He's the chief communications officer. If they hear anything, they'll let me know. And then uh, my dad listens to a decent amount of the games. And so I'll always ask him his opinion. And, you know, I'd say I'm I'm waiting until I get a little bit further in to start sending it. I, I send it to some people, send some stuff to some people, some stretches, and just get their opinion. But overall, a lot of it's self critique per usual, as most broadcasters do. I try to listen back to almost at least a quarter of almost every game just to say, okay, I liked what I did here, didn't like what I did here, here's how I can change this, this, or this, that type of stuff for the most part. So learning uh, with that as well. How much downtime do you have as an NBA broadcaster with your travel schedule where you're just, for example, you guys got here, I believe, late last night, you said, and you guys have an 8 p.m. tip-off. Yeah. How much of your day is planned for you? How much do you get to go do whatever you want? I would say it's 90-10 in favor of prep and work and everything. Maybe even more, 95-5 potentially. It's a small portion just because, again, doing it alone, as you know, you need to be on top of everything possible, especially for an NBA game that can go in so many different directions. You've got to know everything about pretty much every player that could potentially see the floor. And... A lot of it also with the travel is, for example, we were playing tonight in Minnesota. It's an 8.30 game. And then we play tomorrow night in Chicago. It's a 7 o'clock game. So we're not going to get into Chicago until late because the game tonight won't end until closer to 11. Everybody has to then get all their stuff done after the game, get on the bus, drive all the way to the airport, which isn't super close to here. It's like 30 minutes or so. Get on the on the plane get everything together on the plane, get all the bags on the plane. So by the time we get to Chicago, it's not a long flight by any stretch. By the time we get there, though, it's going to be kind of late. It's going to be into the wee hours of the morning. So sleep comes at a premium, and I try to make sure I get at least seven hours if I possibly can. So once I do that, you're running out of time here because, for example, we have shoot-around this morning at 11.30, so... 11.30, I need to make sure I'm there. Before that, I was doing more work. I'm just getting all this work done, doing this with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's here's a little bit of our downtime together, which, by the way, I'm glad we're spending together. I'm enjoying this, Logan. And then after this, I'm going to finish up my work for tonight's game, go print those out, start more of the work. for Not even start. I'm more well more than halfway through. I'm almost done with tomorrow's stuff. But And that's the other thing is you really need to plan ahead because they're all coming so quickly, so rapidly. But finish more of the work for tomorrow then i got to go to the game tonight call the game and then like i said we're going to get on the plane and we're not going to land until probably around three in the morning so it's a lot yeah it it adds up pretty quickly so in my last podcast i had josh appel who yeah he's uh, i don't know if you listened to it or not we actually talked about you oh because i asked him this same question that i'm going to ask you because i'm going to guess if i don't know if you get it to your face but i'm sure you see it on social media the other broadcasters who are resentful that someone 22 has such a high uh, high quality position uh, do you feel that resentment from anybody and what is your reaction if you do uh you know i don't know i i think 
I just go and do my thing. I really don't pay attention to a lot of social media stuff. And if it's something negative, I just kind of scroll right past it and keep moving. I don't, I don't worry as much. I just, I, to me, if I worry about it, then, then they're getting to me, the, the people who are trying to bring me down at the, at the end of the day. And I don't want that. I just want to go and have good vibes and do my thing and do a good job with the broadcast and the job that's ahead of me. And so that's what I focus on. I don't really focus on the negative stuff. I do, and I've talked about this before, and, and I really do feel this way. I, I am glad that I got the job at a young age because it's, I feel like it's given me an opportunity, and I'm sure Josh feels the same way in the position that he is in, to prove that young people can do a good job here. And I trust me, I know I'm not the only person who's young and was potentially talented enough to get this job or hardworking enough to get this job. There are a lot out there that are able to do something like this and handle it and do a really good job. And so I'm hoping that I can be an example for that moving forward. And then maybe younger people will get good opportunities like this in the future. Uh, That's really a main goal of mine from this is I need to do a good job for the, for the people coming through in the next years after this. I think part of the reason why some of the industry is kind of going a little younger is because radio is not just radio anymore. You have to do a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But what are your other roles that you have to kind of fill for the Clippers? <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, a couple different things. I'm an employee of the team. So I, I basically, anytime they ask me to do something, I do it. And a lot of times during games or before games, I, I do events with some of our sponsors and so that's and it's very close to the time I have to be on the air. So I'll do that a lot of times pregame, sometimes with season ticket holders postgame. I'll interview the players. I go to every practice and shoot around. Uh, I'm expected to be there for the most part. And I want to be there, by the way, because I, given that access, I'm going to take it. I just get a little bit more of a glimpse into what's happening behind the scenes. And so it's, it's little things like that. And then I actually do. I'm starting more now to do more of the the TV pregame, postgame, and halftime stuff. So it's just it's you add a lot of different things into it all together. Anything, like I said, anything the Clippers ask me to do, I'll do. And whether that goes into podcasts like this one or other ones and and stuff like that, I don't think the Clippers asked you to come on this one. <laughs> I don't know, man. They they heard say the damn score is is really the the go to premier sports broadcasting podcast, and they said, uh, no, you got to do this one. You got to do this one, man. Um, but whether it's that, whether it is uh, you know talking with some of the writers or you know, any of those types of stuff, I do it. That's what I'm here for, and that's what I told. Steve Ballmer, that's what I told Gillian Zucker, that's what I told go down the list. I said, if you want me to do something, if you need me to do something, I'm here for it. That's what I told our social media team. And so we're working together to find some stuff that we could potentially do in the future. It's little things like that. So I, I try to I try to bridge the gap between the players and the and the fans. And so I try to make that on social media or during the broadcast, but all those little things. It it definitely is more than just showing up and doing the game. It's it's finding a way to, to, to help the brand and help yourself and help the team in a variety of ways. What was your first interaction with Kawhi Leonard? <laughs> it's actually funny. I was, um, it was a preseason game, and I was in Doc Rivers' office. to I do an interview with him before the game, before every game. And I was in Doc's office. I sit down with our other television broadcaster, and we're talking with him, and we're saying, hey, it's our – Let's see, third preseason game. Our first two were on the road, and our third one was at Staples Center against the Denver Nuggets. And so I said, 
who's starting tonight? You know, what's the deal? Because there were some injuries in there. There's a couple things that were going on. And he said, uh, Kawhi start tonight. And we both looked at each other like, whoa, really? Because he hadn't really been even going full contact in practices and stuff. He goes, yeah, we, uh, we cleared it with him. He's good to go. He wants to play. And so I'm about to start this interview, and there's a knock at the door, and it opens, and it's Kawhi, and we all turn around, and he goes, uh, y'all busy? And I was like, what do I, what do, I do? What do I say? Like, <laughs> what, what happens here? I don't know what to do. And Doc's like, get, get out, get out. You know, he's telling me and Brian, he's like, get, get out, yeah, Kawhi, come in, come in, sit down, kick these guys out. And so we sat outside for two three minutes while Kawhi had to talk to Doc and he got in got back he comes out he's like sorry about that I'm like oh you're good man and sit back down go on with my day go on with the game as a five seven and three quarters inch <laughs> tall individual we're not gonna go with five eight come on nope nope oh. nope being around people who are that huge like I'm six four yeah and when I I remember my first NBA game was actually a Trailblazers game in Denver, and I saw Chris Kamen walk mm, by, former Clipper. Former Clipper, yep. And I just, it was the first time in my life, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> and, uh, you mean what I do every day? Yeah, so what's, what's it, just being around, this is a stupid question, because it's the same for everyone I've had on this podcast, but being somewhat new to the industry, what's it like being around just the cream of the crop every day? For sure, I... Again, I think it's a little bit different just because I grew up around it and I was around the Nets a decent amount. So I was around my dad and I, I still remember during those great finals years, I would stay around after the game and come on the court sometimes. And there's one in, one memory in particular. There was this ball that I got. It was a small basketball, Nets basketball I got at the game and I was shooting it at the basket on the court and it got stuck in the net because it was so small that it like got caught almost and so I'm on the court, and my mom and I are the only ones there. And I'm like, how do I get this? My mom's five foot. I'm, at the time, I don't know, three foot. Who knows? And I'm like, I don't know how to get this ball. And Todd McCulloch, who was the center at the time, came over. He goes, oh, hey, I got that for you, little eagle. And he just kind of grabs it. Out. He didn't even jump. He literally just tapped it out of the <laughs> net. And I was like, what? What is this? This guy's literally a giant. He's seven foot. And he's like, here you go, man. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. That's what I'm used to all the time. I'm still the guy who was like, hey, can you grab that off the top <laughs> shelf? So it's just normal for me. It's normal in normal life, even without, uh, without being around NBA players, the, the size thing. But being around the one percenters of basketball players, that's cool. Seeing even in practice in, in, the, in training camp, I was mesmerized when Paul George wasn't doing contact stuff yet. All he was doing is shooting drills. And the amount of misses he had, it was like, he would take 100 shots, he'd miss three. It was crazy. And so that was, I, I took a step back and I'm like, oh, I get it. These guys are literally the best you're going to find anywhere. And seeing that every day, it's just become natural to me to the point that I'm like, I, I don't know if I can watch not NBA basketball anymore just because I'm so used to the style of play and the, the level of play that they bring every single day. It's really impressive. So you were second for the STAA Jim Nance Award mm -hmm. this year, and that was, honestly, I don't think I remember any other second-place finishers. I'm sure that there's a lot who are doing good things. I just don't know who they are without looking them up. But I think that you had a reputation, probably more, I knew your name before I knew Drew Carter, who eventually won it and was mm -hmm. your classmate. Was it a surprise to you 
when you ended up runner-up? What was that process like for you? Well, let me start by saying this. I, I think that they made the correct choice. I, I felt that, and I had said this for a couple of years, that Drew Carter was the most talented all-around broadcaster in the country at the collegiate level. He was. You look at his tape. It's incredible. And he's a, he can give you everything. He can do everything. So I, I wasn't surprised that he won it. I, I could tell you that much. I, I was kind of expecting him to win it this year. And I was happy that he did. I thought he deserved it. Was I surprised that I was second? I don't know. You know, I had, I had a decent finish the year before, and I put together what I thought was a good tape, and I just said, all right, whatever happens, happens, and now I've got a great tape to send out to people. Mm-hmm. And that was really all I cared about in, that, in, the, in the Jim Nance thing. But I do think that the STAA does a great job with the, the Nance Award. It's giving these kids, and I'm myself included, a platform to help get their name around. And like you said, you didn't really know Drew before, and you certainly know him now because he deserves to be known. He's a name that is going to be known in the future. And uh, you go down the list of other people who finished pretty high. Those are other really talented collegiate broadcasters that now have this platform to say, hey, like here, look, I I finished high. And it gives them more credibility, I'd say, coming out of school. The STA has done a great job with that award. I, For me, I I just wanted to put together a good reel and, and put my best foot forward. And I felt like I did that. Do you feel like that notoriety opened up any extra doors for you? Obviously, you had, I mean, you have your dad's name, but did that maybe bring credibility to you without that i mean i don't think it hurt i don't think it hurt the fact that people recognize that uh, my, that my work let's say got recognized they recognized that i put together a good tape and they liked what they saw liked what they heard and so i don't think that can hurt in any way shape or form and again i'm appreciative for what they do i'm appreciative for what they do for me what they do for a lot of people as broadcasters in general they, they have a great program they've got a great uh, website, everything, the STA as a whole. And so I, I think that the Nance Award is, is really a, a beautiful thing that they've developed over the years. So the last couple questions I ask everybody, and maybe at 22, you don't have as many as some other people would, but the broadcast horror stories where everything <laughs> goes wrong and you can laugh at it now, but at the time you're just going nuts uh what are yours i'd say my favorite one and this is with another one of our good friends from school tyler rocky who is another soon to be big time guy you'll see his name through the years but we did our first football it was our first football game of senior year for syracuse on waer and i just it, it was one of those that literally everything could go wrong went wrong and it was the first game of the year and i was sports director at aer this was like my first real test of, all right, here's your senior year. It's got to be great, everything. And we, we wanted to do a longer pregame show, all this stuff. And what ends up happening is a lot of things happen. So there was a, a, it was in Kalamazoo. It was, in, it was at Western Michigan, which is not a, normally – they don't normally accommodate for more than one visiting radio station. And we had that because our flagship station goes with Matt Park, and obviously they're going to get priority over this. We didn't, we didn't care. We understood that. But usually most of these places in the ACC or even back in the Big East, they would have places to accommodate for a student station like ourselves. They did not in Kalamazoo. So we found this out a day before the game. And I got a call about it the day before the game saying, hi, we don't have anything for you here. You don't have a location. You don't have credentials. I'm like, well, we have flights that leave today, actually. So... We're going to need to figure this out. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, all right, 
all we need is power. All we need is a power outlet. We can figure out the rest. And they're like, we'll see what we can do. I'm like, what do you mean you'll see what you – so they call me back. They say, we have a spot for you. It's a little far, but we've got a spot for you. But we'll see if we can make it work when, we, when you get here. So now we're going it like blind. We might <laughs> just be going to watch this game and not call it. That would be the first time in many, many years AER did not get a game on the air. And I remember talking to Drew, and he said, I think we should talk, call, like, Tariko or someone to help us out here and make a call. And I said, you know, I don't think so. I have, I have a feeling we're going to work this out. So they call me back before our flight, and they say, yep, we've got it for you. You won't have any Ethernet. You won't have any ISDN, none of that. All you have is power. I said, we'll make it work. So we bring what is not even the AER road equipment because the AER road equipment still requires an Ethernet line. We brought our other student station, Z89, WJPZ. They had road equipment that you could do it without any sort of Ethernet or ISDN. You could do it with power. We get to Kalamazoo. First, we have to program the Comrex to AER. So I get the IP address. I program it. All good. Then we try to connect to it. Isn't working. This is the night before the game. Not working. We try at least 40 times. We realize we're missing that basically it's like a USB thing that you can grab so that it can get the Wi-Fi network to connect actually to the station. We're missing it. We don't have one. And it's not like we can go and get one somewhere quickly before a game. So we think we're screwed. We're like, this game's not happening. We're staying in a really weird hotel because you got no budget in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the middle of nowhere. We're like, there's nobody that's going to be able to get it to us here. So we're like, okay, here's what we can hope for is that the flagship station has one of these pieces, like an extra one that we can use for the game. Because what ha- the other thing was AER just doesn't, they didn't have any of that because they never had to use a Wi-Fi network or a hotspot to call the game. So we get there, we ask them, they go, yeah, we have one. We're like, oh, my God. So they gave it to us. We're like, great. Then the guy comes up to us and says, hey, we're going to show you to your location. When I tell you that it was in a different zip code, it was literally in a different building we were calling the game from. No monitor, no nothing. We just were calling the game from a different – literally, it was the practice facility for the football team of Western Michigan. It was behind the goalpost by at least 500 feet. It was – ridiculous it was something that's not doing it justice it was like a mile behind the goalpost. let's put it that way and i was up we were on a perch we were with like auxiliary cameras and they go by the way the wi-fi up here doesn't really work we're like what are you serious so now this whole plan of doing it on wi-fi is gone so i say forget it we're doing it on my phone not calling in i'm putting my personal hotspot on we are going to do the game through the personal hotspot and we did and it went through the entire game miraculously. But everything went wrong. We did the game. And honestly, I thought it was a decent call overall. Did you uh, get any questions about your phone bill after that? <laughs> I called my dad, who was, still, uh, who was still paying for it. I go, hey, just so you know, this is happening. Don't judge. He's like, right, do your thing. So, <laughs> How long did it take you to get into WAER? Because I know that there's a vetting process. They don't just let anybody on. How long did it take you to, to get through so I, I, I joined right when I could. I knew the sports director my freshman year. He, he was a senior. It was Jay Alter, who had actually showed me around Syracuse on my first visit my junior year of high school. So I had known Jay, and he said, I said, Jay, let me know when the meeting is. I'd like to be there. My dad 
told me he made the mistake, and he said, don't make the same mistake as me of not joining his freshman year because he didn't want to wake up at 5.30 in the morning, which most freshmen in college don't want to do anyway. So he's not like he's in the minority there. But he said, don't do that. Don't make the same mistake. I lost time there, and I regret that. And so I said, okay. And so I went right when I started. Right when I could start, I did start. I went once a week to do my cast, got them critiqued. And then I think it was right around the end of February, early March. It was right around when the ACC tournament was because that was our first game. Myself, Drew, Tyler, and Meredith Kava, four of us got moved up to the next step, which was desk. And so we were the first freshman that year moved up. We were psyched, and we were eager, and we did anything we could while we were there. And then from there, you do the next step and the next step. So Drew and I got cleared. It was technically we got cleared at the same the same day. I just happened to go and meet with them first. So I was considered – this is still a, a sore subject with, with Drew because this determined cast order. So I got first choice on casts over Drew because I was cleared <laughs> like minutes technically ahead. Um, so because we, we were always, you know, stride for stride, keeping pace with each other. And, and that was great. We, we always pushed each other, which was awesome. And so we got cleared at the same time right around December of our sophomore year. And then from there we just continued the hard work and uh, the, the opportunities kept coming. You mentioned something there that I want to unpack a little bit just because I, I talked about the same thing with Drew. Syracuse, there's so many people who are so talented and they all want the same thing yeah. that it just breeds competition that could easily turn into to nastiness, for lack of a better word. And he said that that didn't happen with you guys. It doesn't seem like you uh, have any ill will or... Uh, anger towards anyone, but I've talked to other people who have uh, off the air. What was it about you guys that you're able to push each other without being jealous or spiteful? What do you mean? I hate all those people. I don't <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think that it really just comes from a common understanding and knowing that, hey, we don't want this to happen at the end of the day. And we had seen it happen in other – it's manifested itself. We saw it manifest itself, not necessarily – always at AER. I, I had seen it just in other facets at Syracuse overall. And I said, you know, we got four years here. I don't want to ever leave here saying like, oh, that guy, X, Y, or Z. I always, I'm a very positive person, very optimistic about everything, probably to a fault sometimes, but I accept that. I'd rather be that way than the other way. And for me, it was just about, I'm going to make sure that I'm always positive. I want to make sure that everybody else feels positive. I don't want anybody to see me and say, oh, that guy again. Like, I want to I want to make people feel good. And so I think that was really it for us was we all had a good understanding with each other of we don't want this to turn into anything that we're not going to want to be around each other anymore. We all We all know what we want to do, but we're going to support each other along the way, and we're going to push each other along the way. And we're going to keep each other honest along the way, by the way, because – we would always critique everyone's work during meetings at AER, and I think everybody took it to heart. Everybody actually listened to what people had to say and respected the opinions of everybody. And at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to is do you respect everybody? And we all did. We all had respect for one another. And so I have two more questions, and this, uh, this next one's going to be a little weird, but we were talking about glasses earlier, and so my personal, most of my life I've worn contacts, and recently – They've started, if I leave them in for like more than two or three days, I mean, I take them in and out, but they start to make my eyes red and I have to take them out yep. then. So now 
I, I wore just glasses for probably just about a year, and I've recently gone back to just contacts for game days. And I got these new binoculars, the, the Bushnell wide-angle uh-huh. ones, and I can see through them perfectly with contacts, but when I'm wearing glasses, they just don't focus the same. Yeah. Do you have, as someone who has experience with glasses and sports casting, what and being a mile up and having to use binoculars, uh, what do you do to overcome that issue? So I use pretty much the same ones. The Bushnells are the best, by the way. Those those are the ones that are gonna those are gonna make the money. That, that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna call the game the best. It's just about finding the right. Because look, my dad wears glasses all the time, and I've seen him use it. You just have to find the right almost length uh, away from the glasses, the the space between. It, it's hard to explain. I can't explain on a podcast, put it that way. I really need to show you how I do it. You just have to kind of get through it. And I think it's trial and error, and the more you do it, you figure it out. But, yeah, it's it's an obstacle. I wear contacts from time to time. I really don't wear them when I broadcast, though. And it's probably a mistake. I should probably start so I can actually have the option and I don't just become pigeonholed to being a glasses guy all the time. But that's a whole separate podcast for us. We could do a full glasses-only podcast if you like. <laughs> well, I saw your interview that you did with your dad where you talked about him stealing your glasses look. So He stole them. What do you mean? <laughs> he stole them. Yeah, this is, this is uh, I, I had the thicker frames, but listen, technically he did create me, so we could go back and forth. I don't know which one holds more weight, but we could go back and forth. Final question. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to, uh, both on the the national scene and locally in either L.A. or New Jersey, New York, that maybe are under the radar that not everybody knows? Well, I think th- these are a couple names that people probably do know, but they're names that I, I tend to mention a lot when I get this question. And most of the time it's like people say, well, who are the broadcasters you like other than your dad? And I'm like, well, you know, obviously I'm going to be biased towards my father because I'm around him all the time and he created me and all that stuff. And, you know, he loves me and like like all that that mumbo jumbo you, you could also go the other way and like i know at your age i probably was trying to get it as far away from everything about my dad so, right uh right uh, I, I could see it going the other way so that's sure. why i didn't put that qualifier yeah in. for sure no I, I i do obviously love the his style and everything he brings with it but i, I would i'll give you three names these are a combination national one of them is a local as well and they just do they all do a really good job with their different roles. The first one who does a combo would be Jason Benetti. I think he's excellent verbiage, vocabulary. You could tell how smart he is, how hard he works. Everything is good. He, every and he, his ability to interact with his analyst, you name it. He's just smooth on the air. Um Adam Amin would be another one. Adam is a a friend and uh, one of the best guys you'll find out there and I think of really good broadcaster he's really good i'll give you actually i'll give you four names so adam's another one but i just think that pretty much everything he does he's also so just smooth all the time and what i love about him is you can put him in any situation you know he's going to get the job done really well i mean they put espn puts him on the the hot dog contest and he (laughs) nails it so he's the type of guy that you can you know you can just trust no matter what and he's going to do a stand-up job for you Kevin Kugler, I think, is a name that's underappreciated in the industry. The guy is Omaha, just Nebraska. so he's there. You go. <laughs> he's so good. He really is, especially on the radio. When I hear him on Westwood, I know it's going to be great. And he just his ability to rise in the moment. He rises to the big moments as well as anybody in the industry. He's so good at the job. So good. And then I would the fourth one I would give you is Kevin Burkhart. I think he's another Swiss Army knife that I really enjoy. All right. Well, that's going to do it. 
for the Say the Damn Score podcast here. We're joined by Noah Eagle. And, Noah, thanks for coming on. And if someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at NoahEagle15. DM me anytime. DMs are open, ready to go. Slide into the DMs, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to interact. Well, this is the second straight podcast where someone said to do that. And I'm going to say the same thing I told Josh. That Just that phrase just sounds unsavory. <laughs> don't, don't worry. You can slide. Keep, make sure you stay woke, guys. No cap. Just slide into the DMs. All right. On that note, that's going to do it for the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of SayTheDamnScore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember, iTunes reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on this pod. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, your host, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.